Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Depasa Shalom, Watalam Alaikum, Konishiwa, Namaste, Bonjour, Bonsoir, Good Morning, Good Abend, Kepasa, Mi Amigos, Mi Amo, Wendell Wallace, Standing Amongst the Tallest, how are you doing? Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, a lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports, great news as my mom is out of the hospital, she's back home, she's doing much better, she's back to where she's living, doing much better, getting the care that she needs, so we don't need to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes speaking about my mom's health uh, condition or what's going on in the medical field, none of that stuff, we can concentrate and start with what's happening in the world of sports, and man, does it feel so doggone good, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast, thank you so much, anywhere where you are listening to Wendell's World of Sports iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. As always, if you could do me a huge favor, just go over there and uh, download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Man, I would very much appreciate it. And yes, I've been lacking. Yes, I've been slacking. Yes, I've been lazy. Yes, I've been doing all those things concerning my videos in terms of putting them out on YouTube. It's coming soon, man. It's coming soon. Once I get myself situated in terms of getting back into a routine of life Monday through Sunday, man, I'm telling you, it is going to happen and it's going to happen real soon. So thank you so much for your patience. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, let's get into what's happening in the world of sports, man. Did you uh did you see the uh, UFC card? Did you hear about the UFC card on Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, depending upon where you were uh, watching the card? John Jones, man, I tell you that guy. UFC 285 takeaway John Jones becomes the greatest all-around mixed martial artists without doing so much. Did, did you come away now going into this contest against Cyril Gunn, um, in which he won the interim heavyweight championship in 124 seconds with Gunn tapping out? But going into this contest, the, the narrative was that John Jones was the greatest um, MMA fighter of all time. And regardless of what happened because of the three-year layoff, because of all the other things that have happened in his career, because he's now 35 years old after that three-year layoff, because of all the outside circumstances that I just mentioned, because of all of these things moving up the heavyweight, putting on this type of weight. It, it was a situation where it was like, hey, look, man, regardless of what happens, if Jones loses, if he taps out, if he gets knocked, knocks out, knocked out, whatever, Jones is still arguably, probably, most likely, the greatest 
mixed martial artists we've ever seen. That, that was the narrative I thought going in. And, and myself was in this pack where it was like, I was very, very intrigued to exactly see how John Jones was going to do. Because I remember the last two fights that he had at light heavyweight. I remember the last three fights that he had at light heavyweight where he was fighting Dominic Reyes and Anthony Smith and and uh, Tiago Santos. And, and, and really, there was a strong argument to be made that if it wasn't John Jones going up against uh, Reyes in the last fight that he had at light heavyweight, that there was a strong argument to be made that Dominic Reyes won that fight. So the, the, I, didn't, I didn't know if it was a situation with all the things that was happening with Jones off outside of the octagon was catching up to him. I don't know if it was a regression. I don't know if the fighters that were in the 205 division just got tired of losing and were getting better. I thought maybe the gap was closing. Jones still being the the alpha dog. Jones still being the best light heavyweight during that time. But I just thought that there was a possibility that, you know, his skills were slipping. He was reaching in his early 30s. And uh, we we saw the John Jones that uh, we weren't used to in the last three fights. And now they were coming into this contest with Gunn talking about, ah, oh, well, he was bored and he wasn't really training hard and all those type of things. I saw him get hit at light heavyweight from light heavyweights during his time. And I was thinking to myself, if he, if he takes those type of shots, which affected him a little, which affected him some in the last couple of fights that he had at 205, how is it going to be for him to get hit by a heavyweight? Now, we, we really didn't take a look, and we really didn't get a chance because Cyril Gagne really didn't put up that much of a fight. I thought the tap out was a a little bit quick. I'm not in that position. I'm not a mixed martial artist. I haven't been in the octagon, and Lord knows I haven't faced John Jones. So for me to sit there and say that he tapped rather quickly, I don't know. My might, might sound kind of ignorant on my part, but I, it, it was just a situation where the anticipation was so great. The anticipation was just like, man, I can't believe this. John Jones coming back. What's going to happen? All of these all of these questions that were going to be answered. Was he going to be carrying too much weight? Was he going to be able to take a punch from a heavyweight? Would he be able to take down a heavyweight? Would he be able to stand up against a heavyweight? Would he be able to stand up against an athletic heavy, heavyweight like Ganya? All this stuff that was going through our minds. It was like a minute 24. It was over. It was like a wet fart. It was like, that's it? That's all. I mean, I was getting when 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 Buffer was talking about and stay in this corner, and he was talking about Jones, and he was you know you know how uh, Buffer gets when he's announcing these guys, especially in such a big event like the return of John Jones, arguably, probably the greatest MMA fighter of all time, back in this new challenge that he has. Of course, Buffer is going to blow his head off uh, in his introduction. So I got pumped, man. I got hyped, and I was. Just focusing on that. I was watching that and it was like, I'm just wondering how long is he going to stand up with Cyril? How long is it going to take for him to take him down? He took him down and I was like, okay, is he going to lay on him for about five rounds? I mean, what exactly is he going to do? So he was maneuvering. He was doing the thing. And then we didn't see the tap when it was happening live. So it was like, wait a minute, that's over? It's over? That's it? There wasn't anything spectacular. There wasn't the, the, the fight itself from Jones was impressive. It was dominant. But then I said to myself, okay, and everybody's ranting and raving about without question, without any discussion, that John Jones is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. This this, this puts that 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 puts that in cement. You know, that's that's the final nail. You know, he is above everyone else, Mount Rushmore. You, all the other greats, 
all the other pioneers, all the others who before him were considered all-time greats, they are now below John Jones because of this uh, outing that he had against Cyril Gunn at 285, a UFC two, um, 285. And I was just saying to myself, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. I, I mean, yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, going in, John Jones, this wouldn't diminish any any way in terms of he would have lost. I mean, but but to say now that without question, without doubt, that he's the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, that if there was any question, that there was any doubt, this victory kind of cemented that. And others who have been considered the goat, the, the goat of MMA, whether we're speaking about um, Royce Gracie or Chuck Liddell or Randy Couture or my man Fedor Emelianenko or Anderson Silva or my main man G.S. George St. Pierre or Tito Ortiz or Demetrius Johnson or Khabib Nurmagomedov or Daniel Cormier or Jose Aldo. I'm not mentioning Conor McGregor. No way, no how. I'm not mentioning him. I'm not mentioning him at all. But when you speak about the, the, the dominance and you speak about the greatness and you speak about those guys, and now all of a sudden. John Jones is head and shoulders above those guys without question because what he did on Saturday night going from light heavyweight to heavyweight after a three-year layoff to win that heavyweight championship. Okay, I, I, I kind of see it, but before I put... Here, here's my deal. Here's my deal on this. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to run this up the flagpole and see if you salute. Jones, greatest mixed martial artist all, of all time. Going into the fight. Okay, I'll buy that. But but how much distance does he have between himself and the other greats and the other legends of the sport after this fight? What I'm saying is, Cyril Gagne, we, 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 what is his credentials moving in fighting Jones for him now to, after this impressive victory by Jones to, I don't know, many people might even be saying lap the competition. That's, that's what I want to know. I, I really won't get an idea of how much of a distance between Jones and whoever you want to throw in there. George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva. I, I, there's, there's, you're going to have to give it a little bit more time until he fights Stipe Miocic, Stipe, uh, Stipe Miocic in, uh, ju in July. Now, if he does the same thing to Stipe, who is considered the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, because we all know who the greatest Armando, we, we, we do know who the greatest heavyweight of all time, don't we? We all know who that is, right? My man Fedor Emelianenko, hello! But if he beats a very worthy, legendary Hall of Fame performer like Stipe Miocic at heavyweight, and he does that in impressive fashion, or even if he just wins, then I'll say, yeah, without question, my goodness gracious, John Jones is... Everything, all the accolades, all the spotlight, all the platitudes, everything that came down his way after he won on Saturday night, I'll give him those. I'll give him his flowers. I'll give him his roses. Now, look, that, 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 the last thing that man needs in his life is flowers or gratitude or anything from me. I get it. But I'm just saying, you know, the greatest, yes. But, man, how much, again, are we going to increase that victory in terms of, oh, my goodness, he's the greatest of all time. We, we saw, we, we, um... We were saying that stuff when George St. Pierre, my man, the reason why I am a UFC and MMA fan, 
my man George St. Pierre, remember when he came back after three years? He barely escaped Johnny uh, Hendricks. And then he says, fellas, I got to go. I got to take some time off. I got to regroup. I got to recoup. He came back three years later and he fought uh, Michael Bisbane. And he won that, and he was fighting at 185 instead of 170. And it was like, oh, my goodness gracious, this is unbelievable. GSP, he's the greatest of all time, this, that, and the other. John Jones comes in and does what he does to win the interim heavyweight the interim heavyweight championship against a guy in Cyril Gagne who's, who's nice. He's never really been a, a champion champion. I mean, didn't he hold the interim strap when he beat uh, Mark... Uh, uh, Mark Lewis or something like that didn't he hold when he beat him down in Houston and he held the interim strap and then he lost it to uh, Francis Ngannou and okay it was like alright so where do we categorize Cyril where, where, where do we put him okay he's a champion well he was the interim champion he really you could sort of say that that, that, that his championship ring was, was was put with an asterisk because he really didn't beat the champ the champ, Francis Ngannou, beat him. So Jones does what he does to, to, to Gagne, and it's like, okay, that's that's nice. That's wonderful, but hmm. How, how much are we going to put into this? I think the real test in, ter- in terms of speaking about, oh my goodness, how great John Jones is going to be, is going to come in July when he fights me. Just, that's going to be a fight now. Stipe hadn't fought since. He lost the title to uh, Francis Ngannou in March of uh, 2021, but you know, he says he's been resting, he's been taking some time off in terms of healing himself, and he's been working out, and he's been doing this, and he's been doing doing what he needs to do, I mean, he wasn't sitting around eating chips, he wasn't sitting around just putting out fires, he wasn't sitting around doing those type of things, he's been working on his craft, he's been getting better, okay, that's fine, that's cool, I'm interested to see that, I'm anxious to see that, I'm, I'm quite sure that Jones, who came in at 247 and said that, you know what, he's going to come in for his next fight a little bit lighter, and, and, and it was interesting for me, and it was nice to see, and it should have been nice for you who's watching this fight to see the, to see the excitement in his eyes, to see the rekindling of John Jones in terms of his, fa- of, of his passion when he was speaking about facing Mijic, it was awesome to see, because it's like, now John Jones is here to stay, now we have to cross our fingers, because wouldn't it be not surprising if we found out that, that, oops, I'm sorry, after the drug test, it found out that Jones had failed, had, had failed the drug test again or some nonsense like that? Or would it shock you if we heard in two weeks that John Jones has been arrested in Albuquerque for doing something ridiculous? Would it, would it shock us? Would it surprise us? I remember, and I hate to say this, everybody deserves a second chance. I guess you know, some, most people deserve a second chance. Let's put it that way. Um, but I was watching the uh, countdown show, UFC 280, um, 285, and, you know, they were talking about Jones coming back and this, that, and the other, and one of the segments that he had, um, he was talking about this dog that he had, and, uh, his, his, like his best friend, and he's been around, and this, that, and the other, and then, and, you know, they were taking him out for, for dog training. And he was like, this is so awesome and this is so wonderful because I got this dog that will that will attack on command. And this was one of these, you know, one of these, you know, you know, tough. This, was, this wasn't one of these, uh, you know, Dalmatians or something like that. This was one of these type of dogs. Looked like, I mean, it wasn't a pit bull, it wasn't a Rottweiler, but it was someone that, you know, if it went after your ass, it's going to get your ass. So if Jones was talking about, hey, you know, this is wonderful and this is great because I can, you know, tell this guy, I can tell my dog to attack and I can tell this dog when to not attack 
attack and they were showing you know uh, they were featuring or they were showing examples with this guy who was dressed up you know in, in you know in, in in protective gear and the dog was you know running after him and up there biting him and doing all this kind of stuff and you know jones was like get him and the dog was after him and you know heal and then the dog kind of was like okay i'm, I'm, I'm cool but it's like man i i i it, it john jones is a weapon among himself Number one, he doesn't need a dog. In most instances, I mean, he doesn't need a dog. He doesn't need a weapon. He is a weapon. He's a walking, breathing weapon. One of the most destructive, one of the most ominous, one of the most dangerous human beings walking this planet when you're talking about using his feet, using his fists, using his legs, using his arms, using his elbows, using everything as a weapon. Don, John Jones is the most dangerous human being on this planet. So I'm thinking to myself, does John Jones really need a dog? And in a moment of anger, if John Jones is with, oh, I don't know, a female or his fiance or whatever, and he's been drinking and he's at home and he's drunk or whatever, and he says, you know, bitch, sick him, fight or whatever. Is like, is, is it cool? Is it all right? Is it, you know, is it copacetic for John Jones to be having a dog that will be able to attack on his command? And the dog's going to be like, hey, John, you've been drinking too much, babe. I can't, I can't, I can't attack her. That's your fiance, man. You know, fight him, sick him, sick him. Come on, come on, John. Come on, Double J. You know I can't be doing that shit. Just give me a biscuit and get the fuck out of here. Give me, give me a biscuit and some water and, uh, you know, go go sober up. I mean, the dog isn't going to be able to do that. The dog can't speak human. The dog's going to be like, okay, get him. So it's like, man, I, what I'm trying to say is that, I mean, has John Jones turned the corner? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because now he's back in the spotlight. Now he's the star of the show. Now he's the main man. Now he's going to have back them temptations. Has he learned from his mistakes? Man, I don't take them Bible verses. I don't take that. I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not. Uh, uh, uh. Sorry, John, you did that bullshit before. I'm not saying, you know, you give your life over to Jesus Christ and you praise the Lord and you do all those, those all those type of things mean you're full of shit. No, no, no. But I'm saying, man, you, you can't be when you have John Jones's history. And you keep coming back with, I want to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he's the reason why I'm here, and he gives me the strength to do all the right things, and this, that, and the other. Nah, man, you, you forfeited you forfeited saying that shit for a little bit when you said the same thing, and then about a month later, uh, you left the scene of a crime that left a woman injured in a hit-and-run accident. Nah, man, you can't be saying that when you continually get uh, arrested, and then be talking about, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nah, man, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So I'm just saying, you know, in terms of it's great, it's awesome. I'm pulling for John Jones. You know, I, I I want John Jones to do well. I want John Jones to, without question, without doubt, be the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. He he has an opportunity. Think about this. John Jones has the opportunity to be the most decorated and dominant athlete in his sport probably in the last I don't know what 40 50 60 years I mean have we ever seen this type of dominance especially in a sport like mixed martial artists or like uh, like MMA or like the UFC we, we I've already talked about it. I'm going to talk about it in a quick second I got to get myself emo- emotionally prepared for this because my girlfriend Valentina Shashenko lost <sighs> 
So we, we, we speak about, you know, one thing about mixed martial arts, one thing about competing in the UFC and such. Hey, man, you, you don't get a chance to be Rocky Marciano. You don't get a chance to be Floyd Mayweather. You don't get a chance to be undefeated. You don't get a chance to be dominant for long because the, the, the sport is too competitive and there's just too many ways for you to lose. You, you make one mistake and you could be done. Ask Kamara Usman against Leon Edwards. You make one mistake and you can be done. Ask uh, Valentina Shishenko. You make one mistake and it's all over with. And it's amazing. Maybe it's because of the physicality of the sport. As much as you need to train to get ready to prepare to be a champion in this sport. When you fall off just a little bit from the top of the heap. Man, it is hard to get back to the top. I remember when BJ Penn lost to uh, Frankie Edgar. And BJ Penn just, was just dominant at the lightweight division. I mean, he was whooping everybody's ass in that division. And he lost to Frankie Edgar. He never got that shit back, man. I remember when Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman because he was goofing around and he stuck his chin out and he got clipped. And everybody was like, oh, that, uh, big, uh, you know, he was just goofing around. He learned his lesson. He'll go ahead and he'll get the belt back the next time. They fought Anderson Silva never. Now, of course, having a broken leg, you know, kind of put that on a uh, permanent pause. But it, 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 it's a situation where it was like he never got back up to that mountain. I remember Lyoto Machida when he knocked out, viciously knocked out um, uh, Rashad Evans. And Joe Rogan was speaking about welcome to the Machida era. And he lost, what, in his second fight against um, my man uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua. So what I'm trying to say is, man, to be the top, to be the best, to be like a Demetrius Johnson or to be like an Anderson Silva or to be like in his prime a George St. Pierre who won multiple titles and, you know, multiple, I mean, multiple, who defended his title multiple times. When you, when you speak about someone like a Matt Hughes, when you speak about someone like even like a Rich Franklin who made multiple, multiple defenses of their title, man, it, it, it's tough. So for John Jones to go basically what? 28 fights or something like that and never have lost, really lost. His one loss was a bogus disqualification against Matt Hamble. For him to continue to be so dominant, for for him to continue um, to clean out the light heavyweight division at the time of when it was one of the most dominant divisions in all of mixed martial arts, when he took out a Rampage Jackson, even though he was past his prime, when he took out a uh, Leona Machida, when he took out a Rashad Evans, when he took out Daniel Cormier, not once but twice, when he took out all of these guys who are going to be going in the Hall of Fame, when he took out all of these guys like Glover Teixeira, when he took out these guys who would become future champions, when he took out these guys at the light heavyweight division, and now he's going to be having the strap now at the heavyweight division after taking three years off between the ages of 32 and 35? If he can continue this run and then in the second fight at heavyweight after three years off and being 35 years old and then beating many who many people regard as the greatest UFC heavyweight champion in history... John Jones, I mean, I don't know. You got to put him up there. I think his run would be more dominant than Michael Jordan's in his sport. I'm talking about dominance in his sport. I, I think maybe you would have to go back to uh, the, the early between, I don't know, 1921 to 1932. Babe Ruth 
when you're speaking about one man's dominance over his sport. Maybe you put in Michael Phelps. Maybe you put in Usain Bolt. Maybe you can put in those guys right there. But just off the top of my head, maybe put in a Roger Federer. Maybe put in a Tiger Woods. All of those guys. But if, if, if Jones continues to do what he's doing, I just don't see anybody stopping him. Because now it's been, what, over 10 years? Been over 10 years of dominance? Yes, I, I know that that dominance has been interrupted with foolishness, with, uh, with nonsense from Jones. But hell, who's going to beat him? If it, if it ain't going to be Stipe, who's going to beat him after this? And how much is that going to come into play when we speak about the greatness of John Jones? When we speak about can John Jones, who right now without question is the greatest light heavyweight of all time, in mixed martial arts, I don't give a damn what promotion you're you're speaking about. UFC being the king of the hill, if I could use that uh, if I could use that moniker, he's the greatest light heavyweight in that division in the history. It's going to take something extraordinary. I don't I don't think I'll live if I live to be a hundred. I don't think I'll live long enough to see somebody in the UFC be that dominant, especially at the light heavyweight division. But then again, you you, you take a look, and if he be, if he can become you know, if he can do some things at the heavyweight division and then beca- and then clean out the heavyweight division without losing, where, where does that put him? If you could be speaking about a guy who's considered not only the greatest light heavyweight of all time, but the greatest heavyweight in UFC history? Jeez, man. Jordan can never say something like that. Usain Bolt can never do something like that. You know, Usain Bolt's what? He was like a hundred, he was like what a hundred yard dash. I mean, that would be a situation where Usain was cleaned out the uh, sprinters at the hundred yard dash. Then he took some time off and came back after uh, missing an Olympic or two, and then started to uh, you know dominate running the four hundred meters. You know, this this is a situation where you know Michael Phelps decided that you know his his main sprint his main. Uh, swimming time, he's just going to go ahead and make it that much harder, come back and dominate. I mean, it's, it's unheard of. It's unbelievable. It's, it's ridiculous what Jones is trying to do. But man, it's, it's, it's something that's uh, it's something that's uh, you know, that's getting him out of bed and keeping him motivated. So man, good, good for him. Awesome for him. So we go back and we go back to my statement about Jones being the greatest not only the greatest light heavyweight of all time, but then having the opportunity to be the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Notice I keep saying the greatest heavyweight in UFC history because no matter what he does, I don't think John Jones will ever be regarded as the greatest heavyweight of all time. I'm not going to go there with that. Why? Because I give got to give it up to my man Fedor Emelianenko. And if you're too new to the sport or if you're too young to realize how dominant and how great Fedor was when he was fighting in pride, shame on you. There's something called YouTube. Look it up and look up some of his fights. Um, I don't think that there's enough competition. I don't think there's enough time for John Jones to become the greatest heavyweight of all time. When you're speaking about a guy like Fedor, of his 40 wins, 16 have come by knockout, 15 by submission, and only 9 went to the judges' scorecard. He beat some of the greatest heavyweights of all time during his prime over there in Japan. When you're speaking about uh, uh, Rodrigo, uh, Antonio Rodrigo Nagara twice, Heath Herring, Mark Coleman twice, Mirko Krokop, Gary Goodridge, Andre Olaski. I mean, you, Jones isn't going to have that competition. Jones is not going to have that op, uh, uh, that uh, opportunities. I mean, 
if he beats Miacic, what's going to happen? Who, who's going to be the likely contenders? Curtis Blades? Sergei Pavlovich? Alexander Volkov? Derek Lewis? Jarzinho Rosenstruck? I mean, these are the guys that we're talking about. Now, he could... He could beat all these guys. He could dominate all these guys. It would be great. It would be awesome. It would be fantastic. It would, again, clearly state that John Jones, without question, is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. Beating these guys, cleaning out the heavyweight division to where it is now, would only cement his greatness even further in terms of how great John Jones is and how bad he is in terms of being the GOAT. But, um... It's not going to put him at the greatest heavyweight of all time. So then it goes back to this. How much for his legacy? And how much for the enhancement of his legacy? He doesn't need this guy for his legacy. That's already set. But how much to even enhance it even more does he need Francis Ngannou? Now, I don't know what Ngannou is doing. He's, he's running around looking for a big paycheck whether it be in the boxing ring or in the octagon. And I'm telling you right now, Francis, my, my suggestion for you would to be to uh, take a fight. Get your ass whooped in boxing. Go ahead and fight a Tyson Fury. Go, a- go ahead and do what um, Conor McGregor did to uh, Floyd Mayweather. You might, you're not going to make the same amount of coin. You're, you're, you're not going to uh, have the same type of hype. But if I were him, I would fight a uh, Anthony Joshua. I would fight a Tyson Fury. I wouldn't fight a DeAndre Wilder because if Wilder hits him, he might, you know, he might his jaw might explode. But uh, I would get into, I, I would, I would get that itch that you want to scratch. Get it out of your system. Your Francis is what thirty six years old. Get get it out of your system. Go ahead and, and do your thing. Um, make you look foolish because if you fight any of the top heavyweights, they're going to make you look foolish. Hell, if you fight any heavyweight of any. Um, type of uh, skill. If you fight any heavyweight, if you if, if you fight any heavyweight in the top 15, top 20, they're going to make you look foolish. They're going to make you look ridiculous. You know, Andy Ruiz would make him look idiotic. I mean, the only reason why I say fight Tyson Fury is because at least he'll probably carry you for a few rounds and not really do some real damage before he decides to uh, knock you out or put you down or have you stopped. So if I'm Francis, hurry up and get that fight over with. As soon as, uh, as soon as um, Fury, uh, um, unifies the title with his victory over Alexander Usyk whenever they fight. Go ahead and fight uh, Fury. Get it out of your system and then come back to the UFC and have them make a fight against John Jones who by then would probably be beating up everybody in the heavyweight division and looking for um, new uh, opponents. That fight is always going to be lurking. That fight is always going to be there. That fight is going to take a while before it gets before it expires, before it gets stale. So within the next, I don't know, man, when we're speaking about in, in, in late 2024 or something like that, hey, man, let's have Ngannou versus John Jones. Early 2025, let's have uh, Jones versus Ngannou. You know, let, let's let's do it. Let's get it done. And if Jones can then beat Ngannou, even though, you know, maybe by that time Ngannou had to step in the octagon for a while, blah, 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 still that would be, uh, that would be something for uh, the legacy even more. For John Jones. Would it make him the greatest heavyweight of all time? In mixed martial arts? No. But again. Nobody can speak about the dominance. Nobody in any other sport. Could be that dominant. To dominate two divisions. 
like John Jones has. I know there's going to be somebody who's talking about boxing who said, "Oh yeah, well this that, and the other, you know, he you know he cleaned out the heavyweight division and the, you know the cruiserweight division and blah blah blah." John Jones, I'm sorry, dominant, my man, dominant. Don't, don't talk to me about Floyd Mayweather winning seven belts and all this kind of stuff, and Manny Pacquiao winning 13 belts from the WBC and the WBA and the IBF and the ABCs and the one two threes and the CYDs. That what what John Jones is doing is just unbelievable. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, all right. Let me let me let me uh, let me get myself ready for this. <sighs> didn't want to talk about this. Didn't think I was going to talk about this. Um, getting a little emotional now. My make-believe girlfriend lost. My girlfriend in my mind lost. Valentina. Valentina. Oh, Valentina. <sighs> the loss of the greatest fe- uh, female flyweight champion of all time. One of the greatest female fighters of all time. Valentina Shishenko. Man, do I love that woman. When she does that dance, woo! Makes me want to get out there. When she does that little dance that she's doing, it makes me get up and start doing the kid and play. I'm 53 years old. I have bad knees and all that kind of stuff. She inspires me. She invigorates me to get up and do the kid and play. Get up and have me do the James Brown, the funky chicken. Mm. But she lost, man. She lost. Flyaway title to Alexa Grasso. Who would have thought? Who would have known? The last 15 months, two of the greatest female fighters of all time have lost. Alex, uh, Amanda Nunez, who, yes, she is the greatest woman's mixed martial artist ever. I don't want to hear you speak about, um, oh, my goodness gracious, I can see her face, but I forget her name because I hadn't thought about her in a while. Oh, shit. Oh, well, you know who I'm talking about. The one that uh, the one that beat up Gina Carana, whose name right now I can't uh, remember, and I'll remember it. After I come back from uh, my 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 boogie break, but uh, she beat her, and I don't 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 no 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 because I know where you're going. I know what you're thinking. No 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 no. I'm not including Ronda Rousey. No 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 no. I'm not including Ronda Rousey as one of the greatest female mixed martial artists of all time. You know why? Because I ain't no fool. Because I actually saw her fight. No, I'm not putting her there. Sorry, I don't give a damn what her skin color is. And I don't give a damn how good you think she looks. And how bad she thinks she acted. When that bitch had a chance to do something to try to uh, to uh, strengthen her position as being a legend and all-time great, that bitch backed out. She was a fraud. She was a phony for all of the excitement and for all of the adulation and for all the accolades that she was getting when it was Ronda Rousey hot and she was being talked about as a role model for kids, when she was talked about being the greatest athlete of all time as far as females are concerned, and you had Serena Williams doing what she was doing, and these fucking clowns and these jackasses who were only looking at the color of her skin, the color of her eyes, the color of her hair, and and uh, how good she looked was up there talking about she's the greatest female athlete ever. She's the greatest greatest female athlete going today. That if she fought in the men's division, that she would be top five. Get the fuck out of here with that fucking nonsense. And I went to war. I went to war and hell and back. Making that point over and over and over again. That Ronda Rousey compared to the height that she got at the height of her at the height of her uh, of her uh, fandom was nothing more than a fraud and a phony. So as I mentioned before, Amanda Nunez, the greatest female fighter of all time, she lost in the last 15 years. Now she regained her belt 
And I'm hoping and I'm praying that uh, Valentina can do the same thing. But, um, you know, we, we spoke about, or I spoke about, it just takes one mistake. One mistake and you're done. And for Valentina, that was it. Clearly, that this is the second time. It was, it was interesting watching her and to see Grasso just doing so well on the feet. And the commentary from uh, Rogan and uh, Cormier speaking about, hey, man, you know, um, Grasso's fighting Southpaw, so that, uh, kind of, that, that's kind of throwing uh, Shishenko off. I'm like, yeah, really? That's it? Now, I know the last fight that Valentina had, it was a close fight and everything like that, so she hasn't been as dominant recently. And hey, man, you know, you, you can't be this great forever, forever in mixed martial artists. No, nobody is John Jones. But still, it was, it was just surprising because, you know, going into that fourth round, and even in that fourth round, I had Shevchenko up um, two rounds to one, and I thought that she was winning the fourth round. But clearly, it was a situation where it was like, I got to get her on the ground because if I don't get her on the ground, she's, she's, she's tagging me. She tagged uh, my gal in the first round, and... Uh, you know, it was a situation where, you know, my girlfriend Valentina was like, I got to get her on the ground or else this ain't going to be a good night for me because she could box her way to an easy 49-46 victory. So uh, she got her on the ground and she did her best. But, I mean, you know, one mistake. Uh, Grasso took her back, took her down, choked her out. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was shocking. I love Valentina in defeat, though. Gracious, um, you know, professional. She's awesome. She's awesome. The, the rematch is going to be is going to be something else but uh yeah so it was a good card it was a good card i thought some of the other undercard fights were uh, pretty good so uh yeah well overall it was a good night i had me had me some cheese curds and i had me a, a basket of uh, fries and i had me the soda i had me enough soda to uh, last me for a couple of days so yeah watching it with a good friend so yeah it was uh it was a good night at ufc john jones the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, my girlfriend Valentina Shishenko losing. Exciting. It was interesting. It was a good night. It was a good night for John Jones. It was a good night for the UFC. Twenty twenty three, the new year is here, so my wonderful listeners never fear because Wendell's world of sports will remain as strong as ever with the endeavor of staying clever to increase your listening pleasure, so treasure every measure of thought that is brought into every show. I'm good to go to flow with programs that slam and jam like the man Becky Lynch, so in a pinch without a flinch, I'll play the Grinch that stole your podcasting soul, have your franchise fold, and by the time that you realize that your show has been euthanized, I must emphasize you follow this plan. As soon as you hear the start of my intro or promo, sit back, relax, and listen to a podcast that has more licks than Steve Cropper, a showstopper that will produce any slobberknocker while remaining cooler than Joe Burrow as I remain a champion of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You think you're going to take the top spot from me? You better take heed to the word of Brother Ray and do what I say. Hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more if you plan to score and soar to new heights. What a sight when my competition had that look of fright going up against a show that hits harder than Roberto Duran and his hands of stone. When I speak into the microphone in my best sports talking tones, I'm clearly head and shoulders above the competition like I was Patrick Mahomes. A show as explosive as John Durant, more pure than the jump shot of Kevin Durant, impossible to supplant the number one spot as I stay on top so like Maxwell House Coffee, I'm good to the last drop. 
Though if you slip and don't come equipped for a battle of a lifetime, there will be no lifeline afforded, your show will be aborted, and any attempts to beat me will be thwarted. So as I return to finish this masterpiece to increase the enjoyment of a sports talking show that's heaven sent, keep listening and support the podcast named Wendell's World and Sports. Go ahead and play it, Steve. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Got more licks than Steve Cropper, a show slop, a show stopper, a slobber knocker. All them good deals, baby. Welcome back to the program. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening, what is going on in the world of sports. I'm going to save my, uh, I know um, this is championship week in college uh, basketball. And uh, I'm going to uh, bite my tongue. I'm going to... Uh, Go ahead and watch some of these tournaments. I'll watch the uh, ACC tournament. I'll watch the uh, Big 12 uh, tournament and uh, such. But uh, one of the things, and I'll get into this a little bit more before I want to get into the NFL Combine, but I just want to uh, I just want to mention this when it comes to uh, some of the smaller conferences, some of the low major conferences, like the only conferences that Georgetown could be competitive in. Because when you speak about the major conferences like the Pac-12 and the SEC and the Big East and the ACC and the SEC, you know, the Patrick Ewing-led Georgetown Hoyas couldn't, can't compete with any of these squads. If you put that squad in the SEC, they would finish dead fucking last. If you put them in the Pac-12, they would finish dead fucking last. If you put them in the Big 12, they would finish dead fucking last. <laughs> oh, am I sorry? Am I speaking about Georgetown again? I'm sorry. Back to... <laughs> But, uh, no, I like watching some of the lower, like the championship games from the lower conferences, from, uh, from the from the low majors, and sometimes the mid-majors, because it's, it's interesting, because on one hand, when they win the conference championship, which means that they're going to the NCAA title, these guys, man, these guys act like they just won the NBA championship, man, these guys are what? <laughs> Some of these guys, some of these teams, they act like they just won the lottery or something like that, man. They're set for life. The jubilation, the the thrill, the exhilaration, the excitement, and all this type of stuff. Fans pouring onto the uh, court and doing all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we're number one. We got the rings. We're NCAA bound. We're tournament bound. March Madness, this, that, and the other. I can't believe it. Woo-hoo! The crowd's going wild. Party time. Man, I'm going to be I'm gonna be having sex with so many good-looking females tonight. I cannot stand it. Watch out, Will Chamberlain. You say 100,000 women you slept with? I'm trying to break that record tonight, baby. All of this, all of this excitement in hoo-ha from these um from these players when they win a championship. Then you kind of uh, fast forward a week later when after playing Purdue or Houston or Arizona or or uh, or, uh, or UCLA or one of these teams or Texas or Kansas and you see them with about a, a minute and a half left and they're down by 45 and a half empty arena and they're sitting there with their sad, sad looks on their face saying, huh, wonder if this beatdown was really worth um, going to the tournament. Now, I know you get some swag, and I know you get some other things, but with NIL, I mean, you know, come on, man. That's kind of like, really, that's going to be like a big whoop-de-doo now? But uh, it's always funny when I watch these, when I watch these uh, lower conference championship, these tournament conference championships, and again, these guys are going crazy, these guys are going nuts, the Patriot League and all this kind of stuff. We won, we won, especially when the league 
is so, and it's a one-bit league, these leagues or these conferences are so small that they have to play. They can't even play in a real arena. They have to play in a gym. You know, one of those type of things. They, they, their, their league is so insignificant in terms of the overall picture of college basketball that their, their conference tournament is played in one of their gyms that hold about four or 5,000 people. If they go crazy, they storm the court and this, that, and the other. And then the next week, they find out what reality is. So that's always, for me, a little hee-hee-ha-ha that uh, I like to uh, always bring up. But, man, I'm, I'm hoping that Iona loses early. So when Georgetown gets their ass whooped on Wednesday by Villanova, that hopefully as soon as the... As soon as the horn sounds and the season is over, I mean, Pat, how are we going to do this, man? I mean, could you just just say, look, you know, we'll we'll think of a way to because I know you still have some guaranteed money, so you know, we'll 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 set you straight. You made a whole lot of money in the NBA. You're still getting a pension, and you made a lot of money from Georgetown, uh, being the coach of this team. So, um, the second that we lose, can you just say thanks for the memories, thanks for the opportunity? But uh, I'm resigning. I'm resigning as the coach, and I'm retiring. So, uh, you know, kind of beat the posse as far as getting out of town. So we can go ahead and we can grab Rick Pitino from Iona and we can start the glorious return for uh, Georgetown basketball. If you could do that, that, that would be awesome. That really would. I keep forgetting that we're, I don't know, keep forgetting that this is not a Georgetown-centric podcast all the time. I'm sorry. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm sorry, Eric. I got to, I got to, um, um, Regroup. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, man. Let's talk about some NFL news. Let's talk about the NFL, the draft combine. That you know, the draft is coming up in April. So, of course, going down to Indianapolis, the um, the uh, prospects are going to go down there, and it's, they're going to do the running, and they're going to do the jumping, and they're going to do all these type of things. You know, I, I heard, I heard it was just kind of like, hey, look, man. You know, sometimes I'm kind of down with what you're saying, but this one I really can't go. I don't know. It was a it was a black thinker or a black scholar or a black intellect from our community, which is you know the reason why I said black. And he was speaking about you know he's one of these you know you know white folks keeping us down this that and the other. And, and, and sometimes he makes sense, and other times he's like eh, you're reaching. Uh, this one eh, you're reaching. He's up there speaking about. Yeah, you know, I think the NFL, I think it's horrible, and you speak about racism and this, that, and the other, so these guys have to come down, and they have to do all these things, and, you know, they have to perform in their in their, in their shorts and their skivvies and this, that, and the other in front of white GMs and white owners and blah, 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 and it's like a slave, like 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 during a slave trade where these guys would buy, would buy the slaves and this, that, and the other, and I'm sitting to myself, all right, man, could you, could we please stop? You're better than that. I don't know who it was. It wasn't Cornell West. It wasn't Dr. West. And it wasn't, um, oh, man, I forgot who it was. It wasn't William C. Roden either. But it was just, it was one of these black thinkers, black intellects who follow sports. And he's sitting up there talking about this is one of the reasons why uh, the NFL is racist or some nonsense like that. It's like, come on, man, stop. Just, just, just Are we really going to go there? Are we really going to go there? Are we going to are we going to be talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson and all of these other guys who, in a couple of months, are going to have generational type money and have the opportunities with the money and the fame and the platform that the NFL gives them to make a true difference in people's lives? Are, are we really going to sit there and compare that to slavery, like the like the like the slave deals where they would be auctioned off and bought? Are we really going there? Are you really trying to come on, man? Come on now. 
You know, I'm down for the cause. I'm down for whatever. But, I mean, you know, you got to make some type of sense. You can't go that far out. That's way out there. That's way out there. So, mm. but, 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 Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, the quarterbacks, because we know in a situation like this, especially with the draft getting closer, we all know that a quarterback is going to be drafted either number one or very close to number one. And there's always going to be a reach. There's always going to be a guy when we start the season in college football in September there's going to be a guy that's going to be playing quarterback who we have no idea that's going to be on the radar for anybody picking him in the first or second or third round, let alone one of the top picks in the draft. There's always going to be that Joe Burrow. There's always going to be that EJ Manuel. There's always going to be that Trey Lance. There's always going to be that one guy in September when college football starts. There's going to be that one quarterback that we have no idea about that when it comes time for April, he's going to be a top 10 or top 15 pick. That moniker, that prize, that uh, goes to Anthony Richardson, Florida quarterback, who I saw Florida play a couple of times. I saw Anthony Richardson play. I saw Anthony Richardson play this year. Not like a situation like Joe Burrow, where I saw Joe Burrow play his junior year at LSU and he was nothing in terms of a draft prospect. Then he comes back his senior year, and as I mentioned before, I don't know exactly how he found out where the crossroads were in Mississippi. I don't know where he found out the location where Robert Johnson gave his soul to the Devils to the devil so he could become one of the greatest blues players and musicians of the 20th century. I don't know how Joe Burrow found that crossroads in down in Mississippi. I don't know where he found that devil between his junior and senior year to give him the soul to make him become the quarterback that he was, but nobody saw Joe Burrow making that transition to what he was now, that what he is now, if you saw him play his junior year at uh, LSU and then what he became his senior year at LSU, the number one draft pick for the Bengals and now considered one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Nobody saw that his junior year in college. Anthony Richardson, I didn't have to wait to see him one year or two years. I saw him play this year. First round draft pick, I don't see it. Tremendous athlete. Unbelievable athlete. And I remember people when they were speaking about college football and I was listening to podcasts and such and they would be speaking about Anthony Richardson. And they were saying like, yeah, he has the tools. Yeah, I remember him in high school when he was a high school senior. He looked like a 25-year-old guy playing playing up against a, four, a bunch of 14-year-olds. I mean, he was clearly head and shoulders above everybody else. You would have thought that this guy was going to come into college and turn the Florida program around. That he was going to become an All-American. That he was going to be winning a Heisman Trophy or be in, or, or, or be in that discussion. But he never put it together. And I saw Anthony Richardson just... I saw an athlete who was playing quarterback, and he wasn't a very good quarterback. A guy who didn't have any accuracy, he completed about, what, 53, 54% of his passes. A guy who really didn't do anything to uh, uplift the program at Florida. Now, it takes more than the quarterback. It takes a coach who got fired when Anthony Richardson was there, and a new coach, and an offense, and a defense, and a culture, and other things. But I, I, I didn't see anything from Anthony Richardson that would make me say, hey, Let's go ahead and draft him in the top 10. But he's been moving up the charts just based on athleticism. And what he did at the Combine was basically help himself probably more than any other draft pick or any other prospect uh, at the Combine. Bryce Young, we know, is going to be going number one. 
C.J. Stroud helped himself immensely, but not, not like Anthony Richardson. I mean, going into the season in college football, we all knew that C.J. Stroud was going to be a guy who was going to be one of the top quarterbacks in college football, be one of the top uh, prospects at the quarterback position, and would be drafted somewhere in the first round or the top 10, top 12 picks. So what C.J. Stroud did was probably just cement his status as being a top 10 quarterback and and probably in the situation where a team that might be desperate, i.e. the Colts, i.e. the Falcons, i.e. the Raiders, who need themselves a quarterback, might try to finagle and try to move up from a spot to maybe number four or number five to draft them a quarterback, which would then be C.J. Stroud. So Stroud, who might be a guy where if none of that stuff happened, if you were just based on, you know, draft evaluators and talent and top prospects and stuff, would be a guy that would probably be the the 10th best player or the 12th best player, all of a sudden because of the need for a franchise quarterback and the need for a team like the Indianapolis Colts who have gone through Andrew Luck, I mean, after Andrew Luck, who have gone through bad quarterbacking after bad quarterbacking, retread after retread, as you speak about the failed experiments of Carson Wentz at the quarterback for the Colts, then moving on to Matt Ryan. When you speak about um, the Atlanta Falcons, who tried Marcus Mariota, when you speak about some of the other teams, when you speak about now the Raiders, who are going to be looking for a quarterback since they jettisoned uh, Derek Carr. It's going to be a situation where these guys will take that chance. And we all know this, especially when you're speaking about um, quarterbacking and especially when you're speaking about prospects. You know there's always that coach, that offensive coordinator, that uh, that, 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 that uh, the quarterback coach or offensive coordinator who's going to sit there and he's going to look at the tools of Anthony Richardson and he's going to say, man, I could work with that. You You give me that guy. You give me that talent and you let me mold him. Uh, we're going to have a guy who's going to be uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. The guy at Florida were wasting their time trying to teach him how to play the quarterback position. I can do it. Give him to me. Give that athleticism to me. I mean, wasn't that the main reason? Wasn't that the, the, the far, in a way, the main reason why the San Francisco 49ers drafted Trey Lance? They didn't, they didn't draft Trey Lance based on what he did in college. Hell, he didn't even play last year in college. Well, he played one game in college the year that he was drafted. Now, Kyle Shanahan took Trey Lance because they saw his potential. They saw his talent. And they said, give him to me. Kyle Shanahan said, give him to me. I turned RG3 into something. I turned Kurt Cousins into something. Just think what I can do with this guy. There's going to be that one coach out there. There's going to be that Josh McDaniel who said, look, man, I work with the GOAT in terms of quarterbacks is concerned, uh, Tom Brady. And he didn't have one ounce of the natural talent that Anthony Richardson has. Give him to me and see what I can do in a situation like that. So it'll be interesting. Give him to Seattle. I know Geno Gino Smith just signed a three-year contract extension, but it's a situation where give him to me and let him sit in our, um, let him uh, learn for a year or two or a year and a half and then put him back out there. Let me get him under our program. Now get him under our tutelage and we'll see what happens. And, and that's the situation going on with uh, Anthony Richardson, who again blew away the folks at the, uh, at the Combine. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I'm interested about Bryce Young. I really am. Because everything was centered around his measurements. His measurements, his measurements, his measurements. Now, when you speak about and when you talk about the measurements, look, man, I'm no scout and I'm not a quarterback developer and I'm not an offensive coordinator and I'm not a quarterback coach. I'm not any of those things, man. So to ask my opinion about developing quarterbacks when you have somebody who has the highest level of experience doing it, who am I to sit there and question what the hell are you talking about when we have people who have been doing this for a living for decades in terms of uh, figuring out what's good and what's right and what's wrong when it comes to quarterbacks and arm strength and hand size and all this kind of nonsense. But, but I will say this. Bryce Young came in at the combine at 5'10 and 1 8th and he weighed 204 pounds, right? And he's regarded at the number one pick in the NFL draft. In fact, Kyler Murray, it ties Kyler Murray when you're speaking about his height and weight. It tied, uh, Bryce Young ties Kyler Murray for the shortest height for a quarterback at the Combine since 1998. All right? Two seasons at Alabama. Hey, man, when you're speaking about just playing the game of football from a quarterback position, hey, man, Bryce Young is... Uh, shall we say, the real deal <laughs> when you speak about him uh, accumulating over 4,800 passing yards and 47 touchdown passes his sophomore year, his first year as a starter, then as a junior with really a makeshift uh, below Alabama standards type of wide receiving core, pass catching core, really off skill player type core. He added another 3,300 yards, 32 touchdowns in 12 games before declaring for the NFL draft. And if you remember, he also missed a game against Texas A&M because he was injured. So, you know, how much of his weight and his height are going to play into the expectations of being of him being the number one overall pick? Because we can sit there and we can sit there and talk about, well, you know, hey, he's only 5'10", or he only weighs 204, and that's going to be a concern, and this, that, and the other. It ain't going to stop either the um, Houston Texans from drafting him or the uh, team moving up to number one to try to get him. That's not going to be a deterrent. So then if you're going to be speaking about a guy in Bryce Young who's going to have that moniker of being the number one player drafted or the top quarterback drafted in this year's draft, what should be the expectations? Because there's expectations are, are, are different even for quarterbacks who are drafted number one because all number one draft picks that are quarterbacks aren't built aren't built the same. I mean, there's a there's a big difference in Jamison Winston or Jameis Winston when he was drafted number one compared to Trevor Lawrence when he was drafted number one. There's a big difference when Jared Goff was drafted number one compared to when uh, Andrew Luck was drafted number one. Just because you drafted number one doesn't automatically mean you should be turning the uh, turning the franchise around. And, and no, 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 no. So, so, so where do we put Bryce Young? Bryce Young is going to be the number one player drafted. Is he going to be the guy that's expected to single-handedly turn the Houston Texans around? Is he going to be the guy that's going to be expected to be a elite quarterback within the next five or six years? Is he going to be that guy? Because I'm telling you right now, if you take a look at quarterbacks who were drafted high, you take a look at these guys, man. Most of these guys do not pan out five or six years <clears throat> into their careers um, either they're with another team or they're just barely hanging on 
And when we speak about quarterbacks who have been drafted high, I mean, where's Jameis Winston playing right now? What's Marcus Mariota doing right now? Jared Goff was supposed to be the guy for uh, 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 the, the Rams. He was traded to uh, Detroit. What about that 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 quarterback class that featured uh, Josh Allen and um, and Lamar Jackson? You know what, what happened to the number one pick, Baker Mayfield? What happened to the number eight pick, Josh Rosen? What happened to the number three pick, Sam Darnold? What happened to those guys? who was supposed to be the savior for the New York Jets, who was supposed to be the savior for the Cleveland Browns, who was supposed to be the savior for the Arizona Cardinals. What happened to those guys? I mean, I don't even think Josh Rosen is, is in the league, and if he is, he's nothing more than a third-string quarterback. And we, we don't know about the availability, or we don't know about the future for guys like Sam Darnold or uh, Baker Mayfield. And we're, we're not talking about guys who are in their mid to late 30s. We're not talking about guys who had solid careers and now they're just hanging on. We're, we're talking about guys who should be age-wise in the prime of their careers and the, the, the chances of them starting for a team pretty much are over because of consecutive opportunity to do so and failing at that with, with, with different teams when you speak about Sam Darnold. So it, it's not all of these quarterbacks who are going to be taken are going to be sitting there going, hey, he's going to be the guy. I, I know you're going to hear that nonsense. I know you're going to hear when these guys get drafted, the Mel Kuypers, again, who know, and, 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 and um, these guys know a lot more about football than I do. Lewis Riddick and those guys, these guys know a lot more about what's happening, what's going on. Todd McShay, I, I, I look for those guys for knowledge and information and see what they're talking about. Each one of these guys, when C.J. Stroud gets drafted, when Bryce Young gets drafted, when Will Levis out of Kentucky gets drafted, when Anthony Richardson gets drafted, all of these guys are going to be sitting there talking about these guys are going to be able to do this, they're going to be able to do that, these guys are going to be coming in and they're going to be good at this, they're going to be good at that, they have a chance to be this, they have a chance to be that. And I'm telling you right now, at the very least, at the very least, two of those four quarterbacks, if you speak about Levis, Young, Stroud and Richardson, half of those guys, but that makes two, two of those guys are going to fail. Two of those guys are not going to be re-signed by the team that's going to draft them. Two of those guys are going to be second-string quarterbacks by the time the 2028 season starts. If that, two of those guys, is it going to be Richardson? Now, the money is going to be probably put on, if that's going to be the case, then I would put my money on Levis and I would put my money on Richardson, but it could be Bryce Young. I, I see, again, I'm not a quarterback, I'm not a quarterback expert, but what I saw from Young, while yeah, his game is great and this, that, and the other, what I saw was a guy who was undersized, who really doesn't have elite athleticism and doesn't have that strong build. Russell Wilson is a short guy, but he's thick. Kyler Murray is a short guy, but he's elusive. Bryce Young is none of those things. Bryce Young is your classic pocket quarterback in terms of he plays the position more like Justin Herbert than he does um, a Kyler Murray or a Lamar Jackson, meaning that he uses his brain and he uses his uh, quarterbacking skills uh, to matriculate the ball down the field. That's his strength. Well, that's cool, but when you're only 200, in your um, five foot ten, I mean, yeah, you could sit there and talk about Drew Brees and all these other guys. That there ain't too many Drew Breeses in the NFL. There ain't too many, <laughs> not too many quarterbacks who had the career who had close to the career of Drew Brees. So that's nice if you can 
say Drew Brees, but for every Drew Brees, I'm quite sure there's about 25 or other 30 quarterbacks that you can also mention that had the same physical makeup as Bryce Young that didn't make it. Okay, I'll give you Bryce, I'll give you um, Drew Brees, and I'll give you these 15 other quarterbacks that didn't make it. Which one are you going with in terms of based on physical stature is going to be more of the outcome? A quarterback who had a career like Drew Brees or some of the other guys who flopped? So that's the situation, and, and, and it's hilarious. It is downright flipping hilarious to me when I heard this nonsense about the Chicago, the, the Chicago Bears should think about trading, or should or should think about trading Justin Fields to draft Bryce Young. That that is one of the more. And again, I'm not an offensive coordinator, and I don't know schemes, and I don't know any of this stuff. But just on the outside looking in, from my ignorant view, when you're speaking about the level of NFL, you know, uh, you know how to make the sausage type of stuff, that to me would be like one of the absolute dumbest ideas that you could ever see. Did you see the offensive line from Chicago last year? If you watched any of the Chicago Bears games last year, did you see how much Justin Fields was beat up with that putrid of an offensive line? And you're going to put Bryce Young behind that line? Bryce Young, who missed games because of injury uh, uh, at, at, at Alabama? Who was nicked up at Alabama when he was getting hit by college kids or college uh, players? What, what do you think What's going to happen if you put Bryce Young behind that line at Chicago? They're going to kill that guy. They're literally going to kill that guy. They're going to ruin that guy. They're going to David Carr his career. They're going to David Klingler his career. In terms of he's going to get hit. He's going to get beat up so much. But by the time the team tries to turn around and start winning football games, Bryce Young is going to have about two to three years of just consistently getting pounded to where you're going to take the life, the football life out of that guy. And that's what you're trading for? And what did Justin Fields do to say that Bryce Young is a better prospect than Justin Fields? Wow. It, it, was, it was interesting to me to hear that stuff. Very interesting. But no, it, 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 it's, it's, look, again, Michael Vick, um, you know, Kyler Murray, um, Drew Brees, all of these guys have had decent or having decent careers. It, it doesn't mean anything, man. It doesn't mean anything. And again, I see Bryce Young, and I just see a guy who, if he was the size of Joe Burrow, or if he was just the prototypical size of an NFL quarterback with his athleticism, I would think that Bryce Young would be a guy who, uh, within two to three years, would be on the rise of being one of the more outstanding young quarterbacks in the league. I would put him right in the same boat, in the same category, in the same situation in terms of uh, uh, speaking about how wonderful of a quarterback that he is, I would put him in the same breath. I would put him on the same sentence. I would pick him on the same team. I would choose him for the same boat as a Justin Herbert or a Jalen Hurts or a um, Trevor Lawrence. That's how highly of a football player as a quarterback that I think of Bryce Young. The only problem is he's not 6'4", 240. He's 5'10", 200. And it's like, okay, so if he was 5'9 and a half, or it's like he's got to be over 200 pounds. Oh, okay, so if he's 201, he's fine. But if he's 198, he's, he's, he's a risk. 
I don't know. Don't understand that one. Kind of like that stupid law that we have where, you know, if you're 18, you can be charged as an adult. And then 17, you can be charged as a minor. So let me see. So if if, if a 17-year-old has a birthday coming up on March 7th, March 6th, today, at the age of 17, that 17-year-old knows nothing. Knows absolutely nothing. Has no idea that robbing, stealing, killing, murdering, committing felonies, no idea. Has no idea what's going on. But the second that he turns 18, ah, now that's when the light clicks. Oh, you mean I you mean it's against the law for me to shoot and kill somebody? I had no idea because I was 17. But now since I turned 18, now I get it. My bad. Okay, there we go. So it's the same thing sometimes with these uh, with these numbers, man. It's like Bryce Young has to be 200. What, what happens if he's 198? I mean, what happens if he's 199 and a half? I mean, you know, come on, man. Are we going to round it off to the nearest? Whatever. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A child does not know right from wrong. A child's inhibition. Their brain is not developed enough to know what's right from wrong. So if you have this kid who takes a gun and shoots somebody then we have to protect who he is and we have to make sure because he's a juvenile he's a minor he didn't know his that and the other but when you're 18 click it all it all um it, it all adds up so all you parents and all you teachers who are dealing with freshmen and sophomore and juniors in high school don't worry about it these knuckleheads and these clowns once they hit the age of 18 it'll all click like oh Oh, you mean I can't be acting like a jackass in class. I'm sorry. Since I turned 18, now I get it. Okay. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad um, that you could be with us. So, yeah, man, just speaking about what's happening in the NFL. I was taking a look at the latest um, NFL mock draft here. Um, Where did I get this from? I think it's from the NFL.com or something. I don't know. But you have the Chicago Bears drafting Will Anderson because they don't need a quarterback. They have Justin Fields. The Texans drafting Bryce Young. The Arizona Cardinals drafting Tyree Wilson, an edge rusher from Texas Tech. Uh, The Indianapolis Colts selecting C.J. Stroud. The Seattle Seahawks drafting Jalen Carter. Interesting about Jalen Carter, right? Because he's now facing criminal, um, criminal actions. Uh, for his role in the car accident or something like that. I'll keep you posted with that. But uh, yeah, Jalen Carter, who if he was squeaky clean or if there wasn't a situation that he's in, Chicago probably would have drafted him first. Um, he's quote-unquote fallen all the way down to Seattle at number five. I think that the Bears, man, trade that number one pick and invest in your quarterback, which means go out and get an Someone who's going to protect that guy and get him some weapons, please, especially from the tight end and wide receiver position. That should be your investment. Look, in the NFL, you can't be great on both sides of the football because the salary cap will not allow it, allow consistent excellence on both offensive and defensive side of the football. You, you almost have to choose which side you're going to be dominant with. And if I got myself a quarterback like Justin Fields, and I've invested in Justin Fields, especially when you're speaking about the history of quarterbacks at uh, who have played for the Chicago Bears. I mean, who who do you have of any type of relevance? Jim McMahon? Sid Luckman? <laughs> Vince Evans? I don't know. I mean, but basically, look, the, the, you know, the, the, the Chicago Bears have not had the pipeline for great quarterbacks. I mean, they're not like the San Francisco 49ers with Montana and Young. 
So, I mean, man, you, you got yourself a quarterback who looks like he can do some things, man. Invest in him. Build that team around him and worry about the defense later. Yeah, I know Will Anderson is great, but, man, unless he's going to be the next Lawrence Taylor, I would say, hey, man, you know, we need to do some things on um, on offense. And, again, Lawrence Taylor, Miles Garrett, something like around that range, if, if Will Anderson is going to be that, then, okay, you draft them. But other than that, man, trade that pick and see what you can do about building an offensive line around uh, Justin Fields before you get that guy killed by a third year in the league. Will Anderson to the Bears. Bryce Young to the Texans. Tyree Wilson to the Arizona Cardinals. C.J. Stroud to the Indianapolis Colts. Jalen Carter to the Seattle Seahawks. Again, this is the uh, mock draft. Um, The Detroit Lions. Miles Murphy, defensive lineman from Clemson. Uh, The Las Vegas Raiders drafting Anthony Richardson. Again, Josh, uh, uh, Josh McDaniel taking a look at him and say those skills... Give him to me. The Carolina Panthers drafting Will Levitz. Hmm. Okay. Um, you know, Frank Wright, give you another chance to develop somebody. And then the Philadelphia Eagles drafting Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback from Penn State, whose father, Joey Porter, played for with the Miami Dolphins and some other teams. So there you go. So, again, trading uh, Bryce Young would be ridiculous. The latest on Aaron Rodgers, he's come from his dark retreat. We still don't know if he's going to be going. Now, we heard the news today that uh, Derek Carr is going to sign with the uh, New Orleans Saints. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, So the Jets are still in play for Aaron Rodgers. The um, Raiders, I guess, there were some rumors going on that he might be in play. I don't know about that. And the uh, Green Bay Packers, right? So is, is it going to come down to either the Packers, the New York Jets, or retirement? When it comes to uh, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know, man. And with uh, Rodgers, I don't care. He's not going to uh, fill up my space like that. I've got too much complaining about Georgetown to uh, deal with. I've got too much NBA thoughts to uh, be dealing with. I don't even know what my Washington Commanders are going to do. They're up there talking about, yeah, man, we're going to go into the we're going to go into training camp with Sam Howell. Okay, all right. Thank goodness they got Eric Bieniemy. Awesome, one of the one of the best pickups. Um, in the uh, NFL, in the league this offseason, uh, picking up uh, Eric Bieniemy. Let's see what he can do as far as running the uh, show in in Washington. But Sam Howell, huh? Are we going to get ourselves a quarterback in terms of the draft? Um, I don't know. We did that last season with Sam Howell. Are we going to roll with Sam Howell? Are we going to bring in a backup quarterback? I mean, we wouldn't go out and get Garoppolo, would we? Nah. We wouldn't go out, would we bring in like a, a backup guy who was a starter like, uh, I don't know, like a Jameis Winston Winston or somebody? I don't know. I don't know what's happening with my Washington commanders. All I want to know is, thank you, Jesus, that Daniel Snyder, that fucking scumbag of scumbags, is leaving the ownership for my commanders. So that's good. That's good stuff, man. All right, Wendell's World of Sports. Let me boogie a little bit and let me uh, get back and end the show, shall we? All right, man, hit it.
last segment of the program. Last segment of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Wendell's World of Sports. We are one, we're all the same. And life is just a simple game. Uh, Moody Blues and the uh, Four Tops with Levi um, did a remake of that. It actually had Lawrence Payton. This wasn't this was one of the few songs I think from the Four Tops that were put out as a single where it wasn't just completely Levi Stubbs singing the entire song. As time goes by, you will see that we're going to be free. That was sung by Lawrence Payton Jr., who was the musical director for the Four Tops. And after he sang that, uh, Levi came in, you and me will touch the sky. Can't you see in your mind's eyes that we are one? We are the... Okay, there we go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. NBA, NBA, NBA. Did you hear the stuff about John Morant? I know that my show is as powerful as John Morant. is smoother than the jump shot than Kevin Durant. But John Morant is going to miss some games. They say he's going to miss at least uh, two games. I think he's going to miss probably a little bit more than that after displaying an apparent, a gun in a video a statement from the Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies announced today, that was on, what, Saturday, I think, that uh, John Morant will be away from the team for at least two games. He missed uh, Sunday's game against the Clippers. Could have used them when they ran out of gas and blew a uh, fourth-quarter lead. I think they got outscored by the Clippers like 126-4. to four. Uh, during a stretch in the fourth quarter, facetious speaking, and will miss the game against the L.A. Lakers, a Lakers team, by the way, who are winning basketball games without LeBron James. Anthony Davis doing some work. Should they trade LeBron James? Joking. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, the um, easy little step that they're going to take in terms of the L.A. trip um, now, I mean, it's kind of perilous. For them in this in the short amount of time, I'm not saying that you know this is all of a sudden now going to torpedo their their season. They're they're still in high cotton when it comes to making the playoffs. But I mean, it's a situation now where it's like, look, man, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks missed a game on Sunday against the Clippers because this his, his dumb ass was out there, you know, getting technicals, trying to be the tough guy, trying to be bad, bad Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the old downtown, better than the old King Kong, and meaner than the junkyard dog. Well, Leroy. A.K.A. Dylan Brooks got suspended because he received his 16th technical and he missed the game. So because of that, they were out Morant, they were out Dylan Brooks, Steven Adams, one of the best um, defenders, rim protectors, rebounders, um, screen setters have been has been out for a while because of injury. And uh, basically against the Clippers, uh, they played inconsistent in in the fourth quarter, just basically ran out of gas. So uh, yeah, it it, it hurts uh, in the immediacy of uh, Morant not being there. So Morant appeared to be recording from a strip club after the Grizzlies 113-97 road loss to the Dallas Nuggets, to the Dallas Nuggets, to the uh, Denver Nuggets Friday night. Watch that game. Playoff intensity. That was a good fucking game between Dallas, uh, Denver and um, Denver and uh, Memphis. Really good game. Nikola Jokic, it's just so damn good. And Jamal Murray was doing some work. It was a really good game. Very um, very strong response by the Nuggets after getting embarrassed by Memphis earlier in that week. So we're speaking about home court advantage, and we're speaking about the top two seeds being Denver and Memphis. Yeah, these games mean something, even though 
you could technically say we're still kind of in the dog days of the NBA, even though there's less than 20 games left. But uh, yeah, Morant was out at a strip club around 5 in the morning up there dancing, doing the thing shirtless, holding holding the gun, or what looked like a gun. So he did that, he filmed that, he recorded that on Instagram Live. The videos were deleted when they concluded, but his social media activity was screen recorded, screenshotted, and recirculated on the internet. So... It's not good, man. It's not good. Poor judgment for Mr. Moran. He said in the statement that he takes full responsibility for my actions last night. And what the statement read was, I'm sorry to my family, teammates, coaches, fans, partners of the city of Memphis, and the entire organization for letting you down. I'm going to take some time away to to help to get help and work on learning better methods of dealing with stress and my overall well-being. Um, here, here's what I don't understand. Look, man. In the statement, he said, I'm sorry to my family, teammates, and coaches, period, and, and his partners, basically people who pay him. That's it. And don't be, don't, don't, you don't have to apologize to me. You don't have to apologize to the fans. You know, you, know, this is, you feel sorry. You know, you, what you need to do is you need to apologize to your daughter. That's the number one. That's a young child, and you're out there at a strip club at 5 in the morning. Now, look, I mean, for me, being a, me never being a father, I know, you know, easy, easy to talk about uh, dealing with kids when you don't have any, Wendell. Uh, fuck you. But what I'm saying is that, hey, man, you know, 5 a.m., I'm not saying that you need to be a hermit, but 5 a.m., you know, you're lost, you're shirtless in a strip joint, and you got a daughter at home who's, I don't know, she's a cute little gal, but, uh, you know. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm saying you can't have fun, but you know, just just, just better judgment. That's all. I'm not saying that everybody who goes to a strip club is, is a bad person. So I'm just saying, just just a little bit more better judgment. Just realize who you are. Yeah, in the case that you can't go out like that, life ain't fair. But you know what? You're making how many millions of dollars? Let me tell you something, man. Give me one tenth of what you make. I don't go to strip joints, but I mean, you know, I, I, if I did, you give me one tenth of what you make. Hell, I'll just order the strippers to my room. I mean, you should have done that. Just if, if, you, if you want a little female companionship from, uh, from, from females who are named uh, Sugar Cube or uh, China or Angel or Destiny or Rihanna or Beyonce Jr., whatever, whatever, Sapphire, whatever their names are. <laughs> I mean, if you want a little company from them, hey, man, just, you know, call up the strip joint and say, look, you know, bring them on up. Bring them all up and let's have some fun. So I don't know, man. You know, I mean, there's 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 ways in the NBA where you can get around that stuff to where uh, you don't need to be going to a strip joint at 5 a.m. in the morning. The entertainment can come to you, I would guess. Um, but yeah, um, so just just a bad decision. I mean, I'm not it doesn't make Marianne a bad guy. He's not a horrible human being. I mean, he's not a bad role model and all this other nonsense. So we so so let's kind of let's kind of end that before we start hearing people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about, start going on that fucking route. You know, before we start hearing clergymen and politicians and others talk about that John Morant is a role model and he needs to do better, for for all of those people, like for instance, here we go, like for instance, if you're going to say that shit about John Morant, about how he needs to do better and he needs to be a role model and he needs to think about his actions and what he did was horrible and what he did was so wrong, if, if, if you are making that statement and you voted for Donald Trump, shut the fuck up. If you make these statements and you uh, don't mind the bullshit that um, George Santos or or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Bobbitt or Matt Gates, any of those fucking assholes, if you don't mind what they're doing 
and you're still going to be commenting on John Morant and the type of character that he is and all that kind of stuff, shut the fuck up. You know, if, if you're still out there riding the jock of Louis Farrakhan and talking about how much wisdom and wonderfulness that he has, and you're still going to be making comments about what John Morant should be doing as far as his moral fiber is concerned, shut the fuck up. You have no fucking language. You have no fucking platform. You have nothing to speak on when you speak about that. If you if 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 you're one of those fucking idiots who up there and, and, and is like you know cheering on and think that those idiots who spoke at Q and at, at CPAC over the weekend are a okay, and then you want to make some uh, um, uh, aspersions and some comments about John Morant as a human being and what he needs to be doing as far as moral character and fiber is concerned, shut the fuck up, because you stupid motherfuckers are the last people who should be talking about that nonsense. If you're like from Florida. And you're up there talking about, yeah, DeSantis, that's my guy. He's my guy. He's doing great work. He's turning it around. Any comment that you have about John Morant turning his life around or being a good human being or criticizing John Morant for what he did, if you have that type of mindset that, that follows the Ron DeSantis plan, shut the fuck up, you fucking worthless motherfucker. Period. So I don't need to go on about that. So, yeah, look, man, like he wasn't doing anything. It's a bad look. It's a bad look. It's absolutely a bad look. I'm not saying that. And especially when Moran has been the subject of a detailed story that came out early in the week, which led to involvement in three violent off-court incidents. When you speak about a report from the Washington Post which um, outlined Morant assaulting a teenager in his neighborhood with a gun in his waistband, although the police report did not say Morant pulled out a weapon. Then in a separate incident, he and nine friends reportedly arrived at a finish line shoe store in a mall to handle a dispute concerning his mother. Then there was the most recent allegation involving someone riding in Morant's car, pointing a laser at a member of the Indiana Pacers traveling party, so where there's smoke, there's fire. And Morant denies each instance. His lawyer and agent issued a statement. Jim Tanner, that's the guy's name. He issued a statement talking about any any allegation involving a firearm has been fully investigated and could not be corrupt, co- uh, corroborated. This includes the NFL investigation, the NF- NBA investigation last uh, month in which they found no evidence. So, hey, look, man, I wasn't there. I don't know. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of like... You know, if it's, it's kind of like where there's smoke, there's fire. If all of these things keep coming up, I mean, it just can't be a coincidence, right? I mean, you've been accused of three or four different things, and each one, each one is kind of like, nope, sorry, nope, wrong, nope, nope. I mean, that's just bad luck, right? Being at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? So if, if I'm going to get in the mindset that all of these, all of these allegations are just that, allegations, I, I can maybe take one or two of those possibly, as being like, okay, well, you know, you know, yeah. But if this if this shit keeps coming up, and it's just nothing but denial, denial, denial. I mean, pretty soon it's like, nah, man, there's just, there's just something going on. And even if it doesn't reach the level of, of of scrutiny to where, bam, this is getting to be a problem. Hey, man, it could be, it could be because if some of this stuff, if if, if we're just speaking about saying that these incidents, maybe fifty percent of what was reported was was true, right? Like maybe it's a situation where, okay, Morant didn't pull out the gun. 
He thought that the guy was going to attack him, this, that, and the other. But so why are you inviting some knucklehead to your house to begin with? And the company that you keep, okay, maybe it wasn't Morant who was, um, you know, doing the nonsense with the um, at the mall and all this kind of stuff. But, but what, what are you hanging around a bunch of fucking clowns and fucking lowlifes that they're going to if if, if the if the person's mother has a disagreement. Now, if, if if it became physical or if it became, like, you know, violent or disrespectful, okay, maybe I'll go down there myself to find out what the fuck's going on because, after all, I am John Morant, so I'm going to see how much clout I have to get somebody fired or to scare the shit out of somebody in terms of if you talk to my mother like that, I will have you fired and you will never work again anywhere. You will be sitting on the streets of wherever that it is. You will be homeless. You will be broke. You will be cold. You will be frightened. You will be the uh, victim of violent crime. And I will laugh my fucking ass off as I sit in my mansion and count my hundreds of millions of dollars if you treat my family member like you did. So if you fuck with my family... I will definitely fuck with you. So I, I, in, in terms of getting you fired and making sure that it is, it, it, it's much harder for you to get a job and get a place of employment and get back to the regular life of living. I'm not talking about hitting. I'm not talking about striking. I'm not talking about assault. I'm not talking about any of those things. If I'm a rant and the um, situation at the mall with his loved one, his mother, father, whatever, escalated to that, that's what I'm going to go down for. That's what I'm going to, but I'm not going to take eight or nine of my buddies or eight or nine of my friends. What do I need nine people for? What, what do I need another seven or eight people for? We're, we're not going down there to, uh, to commit a crime or, 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 or get into a shootout or get into a, get into a brawl. What do I need eight or nine people for? So it's, it's, it's the company that you keep. And why am I hanging around people who would even go to a mall to start trouble to begin with? I don't care what they did. I mean, as long, again, as long as that person who got into an argument with my mother didn't hit her, didn't spit on her, didn't call her a nigger or a coon or something like that. I mean, outside of that, what, what do I need eight or nine people going with me for to potentially start some type of violent uh, altercation? I don't need that. Or an altercation that's going to include some physicality. I mean, that's, you know, I'm John Moran, man. I can't, I can't do some shit like that. Have you ever heard of cell phones? Jeez, man, I, like I need that shit on TMZ, like I need that shit on Twitter, like I need that shit to go viral, because you fucking knuckleheads still think that you're fucking hanging out on the corner in the ghetto at five in the morning. Come on, man, I don't need that kind of shit, man. I'm you know, I'm I'm not I'm not living that life no more, fellas. I got two hundred something million dollars. I got too much invested in me. If you're going to be acting like that, I can't keep you around. And it ain't selling out. It ain't forgetting who you are. It's about time that you motherfuckers grow up and get yourself a fucking job. It's that hanging off on me, you fucking leeches. You fucking leeches. Broke-ass Negroes. What are you doing, man? Leave me alone and let me do my thing. So that's the thing with John Moran. It's just, look, man, just, 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 just be more comfortable. Just be more, um, just be more, you know, aware of, of, of what's going on. With that nonsense, and and it looks like from the sound of things that uh, he realizes that. So, you know, the guy is one of the um, one of the gems, one of the jewels of the NBA. We don't need him acting knuckleheadish. We we, we did that with a young Allen Iverson. We we don't we, we don't need that from him. And again, he's young and stuff. So let's hope that he can turn it around. I want to end with this. Um, I look, LeBron's injured. Um, he's missing some games. Uh, Golden State still can't win on the road. They lost on Sunday with Steph coming back. Still losing on the road to a team that did not have LeBron. 
Anthony Davis doing some work. Um, good, good stuff for the Lakers, man. They're starting to uh, make a little move now. You know, I know they're like you know three games away from being the number six seed, and they're they're kind of pointing to if we could get into the playoffs and play Sacramento, who I think right now is third in the conference in the Western Conference. If we could get with Sacramento, then you know with LeBron and AD and their championship experience and everything, that uh, we might have a chance. Look, Jared Vanderbilt is playing his role very well. Malik Beasley is playing his role very well. Austin Reeves has elevated his game. Um, Anthony Davis, again, back to playing like one of the top players in the NBA. Um, so so far, so it's almost like you throw LeBron in there, and uh, if he can go back to a mix like that, um, you think you would think you, you might get something from D'Angelo Russell, then, yeah, the, 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 the needle is moving up for the Lakers. Now, how up are they going to be moving? We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't. Is this sustainable in terms of LeBron with his foot injury? He's going to be out at least two weeks before he gets reevaluated. Are the Lakers going to be able to not only um, uh, keep their head above water, but maybe maybe move their neck and shoulders and maybe the uh, maybe the uh, the chest muscles uh, out of the water and start breathing some air? Ah, <sighs> we will see. We will see. But uh, yeah, so far so good. And Golden State, I, you know. Mm, 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 mm. If you can't win on the road, Steve Kerr was talking about, hey, man, we won five in a row with Steph out or something like that. So, you know, I think we've turned the corner. Well, you've, you've won those games at home. It, it, home is, Winning home games for the Warriors have never been a problem this season. It's winning the games on the road. And, yeah, you could talk about Steph, his first game back and this, that, and the other. But you lost to a team in the Lakers on the road without LeBron James. You know what we what are we going to be getting from Jonathan Kaminga? Those guys. We'll we'll see we'll see with that. But I want to spend the last part of the program talking about the game on Sunday between Dallas and Phoenix. Did you see that game on Sunday? Shame on you. That was a hell of a game, man. That was uh, a great game, and it, it, it just pointed really a microcosm of both the, the 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 positives, the positives and the negatives of both. The Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks, man, because you take a look at the game that the four superstars had for in that game. When you're speaking about Devin Booker and Kevin Durant for the Suns, and then Luka Dantich and Kyrie Irving for Dallas. It's just a matter of, hey man, which one of the role players were going to um, make a play? Or we're going to do something. Now, yes, I know the go-ahead score was, was, was made by Kevin Durant. But if it wasn't for Allen Wainwright hitting those threes in the second half of the fourth quarter, Phoenix isn't there. Phoenix ain't making it. Chris Paul stepped up a little bit early and hit some clutch shots. I think that his doggedness against Luka was admirable um, when he was um, guarding him out front on the perimeter. And, and Luka... Yeah, he had the size advantage. He was just backing him in, backing him in, and got him to the foul line. But, you know, that, that, that's some work. And, it, and it's interesting also, if you think about this dynamic between Luka and Kyrie, I mean, I, I thought that possibly, and maybe we'll see this, maybe we won't, I don't know. I thought we'd be seeing a lot more two-man game between Luka and Kyrie. I thought there maybe be maybe some, some, some pick and rolls. And yeah, I, I know that Luka really is not a pick and roll type of guy, and you would rather go with a pal and some other guys. But I, I just thought that there'd be a lot more two-man action 
to really work that. It, it just seems like right now it was the same thing with Phoenix, with Durant and Booker, even though you can understand it a little bit better because of Durant just coming back. I think I think it was, what, his third game back against uh, against Dallas on Sunday? So, yeah, I mean, so there's still, still got to be some time for them to put Durant in some sets and get to where he wants to go, which is basically anywhere on the court. Anywhere on the court for Kevin Durant is, is a sweet spot, 25 feet and in. But, um, you know, there was, but with Kyrie and Luka, who have now fallen to 2-5, and five, when those two guys played together, it just seemed like there was a bunch of my turn, your turn type of stuff, which was brilliant to watch. Kyrie is just so doggone breathtaking, man. He's so doggone talented. He's so fun to watch. He's, he's, he's amazing. He's quirky. He's unique. He's a pain in the ass. He's a diva. He's, 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 he makes you think like, he makes you talk like that. He's, 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 he's. what words can I say for Kyrie? He ain't dumb. He's just, but, but he is so breathtaking. He is so breathtaking. If he could just be like 15% less of a headache, Man, he would be worth all the shit that he brings to a team, minus about 15 to 20%, because he's so tantalizing, and he's so talented. And the Dallas have, have, have got him at the right time, because, as I mentioned before, he is playing for that contract. So since he is playing for that contract, Kyrie is going to be on his best behavior. So Dallas has the best of Kyrie Irving. They might, this might be the best of Kyrie Irving that we might see for the rest of his career. Because if the Lakers or the Mavericks give him a four-year, $200 million contract, I don't know if we're going to have the same attitude on a consistent basis um, uh, with, with Kyrie once he gets paid max. So he's been breathtaking, and he's been great. But again, lack of defense, and it's just this your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, lack of continuity between um, Dantich and Irving that's just like, hmm. How are you guys going to win a playoff series again? But it's just—it's going to come down to the others. It's going to come down to the others with the um, Phoenix Suns again. And I hate to say it, when we're speaking about others, I think we have to include Chris Paul. And not just others in terms of, is Chris Paul going to be healthy? Is Chris Paul going to be available when the playoffs start? I'm just talking about does he have enough time to fit in? Now, now, now look, if anybody's going to be able to fit in in a short amount of time, you're speaking about Chris Paul, who is who is um, his IQ as far as being a basketball player is off the charts. And he's a very intelligent guy just all around. And it's even elevated more when he puts the ball in his hand and starts orchestrating the game of basketball. So if you're thinking about someone who you would be least worried about in terms of the blending in or finding where he can be an asset, it's going to be Chris Paul. But man, you got injury history. You got 37 years old. You got sort of a down year from Paul. You, you can't put him as the big three anymore. Now, maybe you can slide in DeAndre Jordan. Not gee whiz. You can slide in DeAndre Ayton. A, a guy who is like, hey man, you know, we, we, we can give you a little bit more touches than what you were getting with uh, in the game against... Um, Phoenix, because I forgot that he was out there a lot of times. 
I mean, he started strong in the first quarter, but then he kind of went away as Booker and um, KD started doing their thing. And, and, and really, it was Booker. If you think about it, KD shot, what, 16 times, something like that, while scoring the 30? Good Lord, that guy is good. So we, we, we saw the best of the Phoenix Suns in terms of, look, man, what are we going to be getting from the squad? Josh Jacoby, I just think that he, I just heard that he missed another shot. It was that corner three, clang, left corner, clang, right corner, clang, left corner, clang. Like I said, the, the, the unsung hero of the game was uh, Wainwright for the uh, shots that he made. So it, it's going to be a situation where, hey, look, man, I mean, you you have two two things that you can do when you play Phoenix. Let um, Durant and Booker get their 40 each and then just hold the others in check. Or you can just get the ball out of their hands and say, okay, someone from this team make a wide open 19-footer. From someone from this team make a wide open three point shot from the clo- from the corner, or from the top of the key, and who's that guy going to be? Is it going to be T.J. Warren? Is it going to be Josh Okoge? Is it going to be Cam? Um, is it going to be uh, Cameron Payne? Is it going to be Wainwright? Is it going to be Damian Lee? It's going to have to be one of those guys, because when it comes to the playoffs, that's probably how these teams are going to be playing them. Okay, go ahead. We'll, we'll you know what, KD Booker, they're going to get theirs. But what we're not going to do is just have them beat us all by themselves. So uh, when you get into in, in, in the game against uh, Dallas, this was their best game in terms of the competition that they played when you're speaking about the games before when Durant came back against Charlotte and he came back against Chicago. Now on uh, Sunday against Dallas, this was the best competition that they had. And um, they showed up, and uh, they got the job done in a hostile environment on the road. So it's going to be fun, man. The Western Conference, you, you, and, and again, if you ain't watching Luka, and if you ain't watching, uh, you ain't watching the Luka and Kyrie show, man, you don't know what you're missing. And at the very least, I don't think that the Phoenix Suns are going to make it we're going to make it out of the Western Conference because I just don't think that they have enough time, especially the way that uh, Denver has been playing. That game against Memphis on Friday, man, I was so impressed. So impressed with uh, Denver. And if you're going to give them home court advantage also, I just don't think as of right now that uh, Phoenix can beat them. And if everything stays the same in terms of injuries, the lack of injuries or whatever, and you get into a a seven-game series, I think um, Denver wins in either six or seven against Phoenix. I really do. I really do. So there you go. All right, I'm out of here. Good to go. Boy, that was a good that was a good show today. I love talking about the UFC when I get an opportunity, along with getting back to the uh, NFL and speaking some NBA. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the program. As I always say, if we can please um, do some things in terms of learning from each other, having a conversation with someone who is not like you, difference of opinion, please don't run back to the person who you think is going to agree with you. Why don't you talk to that person to find out why he has that opinion? Maybe you might learn something. Maybe it might not change your mind, but give you a better perspective and understanding. I, I don't I don't know how many times I told the students up to where I was uh, last employed for Clark County. I, I can't tell you how many times it was like, look, man, if y'all could just get out of the neighborhood or y'all could just get out of the community just for a little bit and talk to somebody who is not like you. Talk to somebody who is different than you. Talk to somebody who lives in a different environment than you. You will be shocked. You will be surprised. Hopefully you'll learn something. 
I mean, damn, these kids are on TikTok and Instagram reels and social media every fucking single day. You can't join a chat group. You can't join something that might be a little bit different than what you're talking about. You can't learn something a little bit different. Man, when we were growing up, we didn't have those opportunities. We didn't have those avenues. Now you've got Snapchat and and Facegram and Instabook and all this kind of nonsense. Whatever these kids are on right now, other these teenagers are on right now that they're uh, just fixated with. And, you know, you, you take a look at these tic-tac highlights and everything. You can't find something that might be a little bit informative, that might make you say, hmm, that was interesting, what's going on in the world. Hmm, this situation dealing with transgender or situation dealing with um, what they're trying to do in Florida, where they're trying to take away the history of this country and and, and, and put it in their own ways. Hmm, it's interesting about what's going on, uh, you know, with um, LGBTQ or whatever. It's interesting what's going on with black folks or Hispanic folks or white folks or rural folks or rich folks or white folks or fat folks or skinny folks or Asian folks or, eth- or uh, you know, Catholic folks. I mean, all of these avenues that these kids can go down to and all they want to do is sit there all fucking day long and watch watch stupid-ass videos. (sighs) What I'm trying to say, learn something. Do something to better yourself. You'll be amazed. You'll be shocked at um, how wide open the world is. And you'll be shocked how the world is so much different than the space that you live in, whether we're speaking about in West Las Vegas, whether we're speaking about Liberty City, whether we're speaking about Appalachia, whether we're speaking about uh, Montana, whether we're speaking about Tacoma, Washington, whether we're speaking about New York City, whether we're speaking about Dallas, Texas, whether we're speaking about Salt Lake City, Utah, whether we're speaking about um, Summerlin, whether we're speaking about Beverly Hills, man, it's it's just you 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 leave your comfort zone, and it's really really an interesting interesting world out there. I believe me, I know. So, all right, man. Wendell's World of Sports. Hey, uh, if you would, please, yeah, get me out of here with some music.